0: to tell their stories about what they've learned along the way and share some of their wisdom with us. I'm so thrilled you can join us. Hey there, my wise friends, and thank you so much for joining me on Collective Wisdom, which this week is a bit of a personal one, as I have my brother-in-law Anthony Brum joining me. And as well as being a structural engineer, is also a creative writer and has two novels to his name so far. So I was really thrilled for him when recently he was selected to have one of his short stories read out on the radio. Love, Loss and a Library is such a great story that shows just what a difference a little bit of empathy and kindness can make in the lives of others. So it was a no-brainer that I invited Anton to tell me all about it. And we also included a recording of the story for you to listen to after the interview. As you'll hear, with three children and a full-on engineering role... It's not always easy to carve out the time to do these projects, but as Ant said, it brings him such joy that it always makes it worth it. He also talks very touchingly about his parents, and in particular his mum, Gabe, who is now 90 and having some health struggles. I really hope that when she hears this, it will lift her spirits and be a source of pride for a job well done on raising her own children. And as ever, having shared stories, I now know where Ant gets his own generosity of spirit and willingness to see the best in people. Enjoy. So joining me today, I'm very happy to say I've got my brother-in-law, Anthony Brum who has been a really ardent supporter of this podcast right from the get-go. I've been so touched with every single time we've got together. And we're sitting here today because it's Jubilee weekend. So we've got a big family gathering and we've just taken some time out. But Aunt has always come up and said, oh, you know, I was listening to the podcast last week, or that was an amazing guest you had. And it was It's, yeah, it's just nice to know that it's being appreciated and nothing gives me more pleasure than when somebody says to me, I listen to your podcast and I think it's great. So I've invited him along because Anthony, as well as being a civil engineer, he's also a very good musician. He plays the Irish flute and the ukulele, but he's also a really accomplished writer. He's got two novels under his name so far. One is called Imbrium City, Rise of the New Defenders, and then he's written another novel under a pseudonym called A Millionaire, an Artist, a Seduction, with his nom de plume, which is Remy Mariano. He's now been on BBC Radio Bristol twice, first of all because he reached out to the radio station about a piece that he'd just written, and they got back and had him on the radio, and... The second time, he wrote a short story and submitted that, and it was read out on, on the radio, and it was just such a really moving, touching, very sweet story. So I'm thrilled to say that he's here today to talk to me about writing and creativity and how hard it is to carve out the time. When you're already doing your job, paying the mortgage with a busy family. So, welcome, Anne. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you
1: very much. And, Kat, um, I'm humbled to be here. I've listened to many of your podcasts, as you alluded to. And um, I feel humbled to be amongst the, the company that um, that you've had on, on your um
0: on your podcast? No, you shouldn't much. feel humbled at all. Because as you know, there's a lot of it is about, you know, I like to look at it as life as a sort of like the wheel of life. You know, sometimes we talk about health. Sometimes we talk about spirituality. Sometimes we talk about creativity. But it's it's all the things that go into life to make it a little bit more whole and happy and how you can live your life with intention and purpose. And I think for me, the backbone of that is creativity in all its shapes and forms, you know, there's so many, I think the thing that distresses me most is when I hear people say, oh, I'm not creative. And I think there's so many different ways of being creative, whether it's you play a musical instrument, you paint pictures, you write poetry, you write novels, but also just, you know, in terms of like problem solving or just the way you approach life to make it as Mm -hmm. fun as it can be. Yeah, yeah. So what would you say was your intro into the writing how did you get started with it
1: so from as long as I remember I've always wanted to write as a child I read um, avidly and it was always a bit of a, a burning ambition so one day I just decided I will write a book I sat down I wrote a book over the course of about a year and a half something like that and it was pretty terrible it was um as I was writing it I realised this this really isn't very good at all. But I, I decided that I, I would get to the end of it and I would use this as a learning exercise which it most certainly was. And at the time I started going to um, uh, the odd writing workshop and reading books on the craft of writing and all this sort of stuff. So I got to the end of this uh, manuscript, finished it, um, and that is probably on a hard drive um, on a USB stick somewhere and printed out under my bed. And that's where it stayed for the last six years or so. So then um, that. So you did that that
0: totally alone? You weren't part of a writing group? I did
1: that completely alone. It was just something I felt I wanted to do. I wrote, um, it was a children's novel, and it was something along the lines of um, it was a little bit tongue in cheek, Terry Pratchett, uh, a local. Um, museum has somehow managed to obtain a part of a large hadron collider and they've inadvertently formed a black hole and my protagonist got sucked in and they were sort of swept around all this sort of stuff and and, and had an adventure and came out of it. It was a bit not a bad premise actually and I, I might I might revisit it in, in years to come. But as a novel there there were certain things very much um, there was too much wrong with it and mm-hmm. i would say one one of the big lessons i learned in that is um, your protagonist your protagonist must always drive the plot and i found my my central characters were being swept around by events and that's not how it should be yeah. if you want if you want the action to take place Um, on on a meteorite sort of coursing through the universe then your character should decide that if you want um, the action to take place in a a mansion in Italy then again your character should decide that Uh, the the main character should always um, uh, drive the plot drive the story so anyway I wrote that um, write, writing a, a novel even if you don't go back and do the editing and, and all the rest of it and you, you don't publish it it's still a tremendous uh, effort yeah. so it was a little, a little while before I had another go but I did again a, a year or so have passed and, um, So how many words are it. we
0: talking for a novel?
1: We, uh, I would imagine that one was around about 45,000 wow. something of that so I, I set about come up with some more ideas and um, I wrote the next one, and that one I did feel was was good enough um, to be published. So I wrote that. This is all on my own. No, no beta readers. Nobody. No writer groups. Nothing like that. And at the time, I had a very young family. I think we had just the um, the two children who were who were babies, uh, and that was tough. And I found myself uh, like you talk about finding your flow and all this kind of business. That's what you've got to do. You've got to ignite that burning ambition to finish that novel that's the only thing that pulls you through and i found i was getting up at sort of six in the morning at weekends and sitting down at the end of the bed with my little light on and writing my novel because i knew i only had an an hour or two before the kids were coming and that was it that that was my day so it was it was a long old slog but um i did finish that and i thought well, this is great I've got a novel now. I've yeah. written a novel, but it's not the the you're not quite finished there till, till you publish. So I'm thinking, well, how do I do that? So then um, <clears throat> the next thing, so I learned, is to find myself an agent. So I went on that merry-go-round wow. for about six months, and I did I did all the things according to all the advice. I. I um, found these um, sort of uh, targeted submissions to literary agents that um, specialise in children's literature, the, the sort of things. And, I, and, of course, I was reading books um, in the genre all the time anyway because uh, you, you've got to uh, immerse yourself in that. I would put, say, five submissions out, and then as the rejection emails came in or well, it just got to the point at which they'd say, if you don't hear from us by a certain period, assume you're rejected, it yeah. would just keep rolling around. And I kept doing that. And I don't know, I must have, I must have uh, written to about um, or approached about a dozen agents and I was not successful with that. So I thought, oh, well, that's it then. There's my dream crumpled I'll, I'll put that in the drawer. And a year and a half later, and in, in that sort of intervening period, um, the, the whole self-publishing revolution had come about. Wow. So one day I heard somebody on the radio <clears throat> talk about a book that self-published. And I thought, well, I've got a book. I've got a novel again. It's on my on my. Um, it's printed under the bed on my <laughs> on my hard drive. I've got nothing to lose by self publishing. So another learning process. Well, how do I do that? I learn about Amazon and all this business, and then uh, I um, I publish that, and then finally. I was a published author. Yeah. And my dream became true.
0: So that book became In Broomer City. That was
1: In Broomer City. Uh, yes, yeah, so that was my first um, And I remember, I and we
0: read it, and it's very good. Yes. And I know, because my daughter writes a lot, you know, Hannah. Yes. Uh, Hannah writes, and she, she actually read it and came back and said, you yeah, know, it's not half bad. You know, yeah. we were all kind of like, well, do we have to just say nice things about it? But actually, it's a really well-written book. I've,
1: I've had lots of lovely feedback like that. And, and reviews are, are golden. I've, I've had them um, not. I mean, none of my writing pursuits have, have brought me any, any great riches or anything like that. And, and I understand you have to um, it Takes a very long time to become an overnight success. Yeah. You've just got you to keep putting out some that quality material. That is such material. good
0: advice. That's so true.
1: <clears throat> so anyway, I tell my friends and family about this book. That's great. So now you have to learn a whole new set of skills and that is like promotion mm. and all this kind of thing. So I was sort of banging away at that. And then I, I kind of knew that um, at the back of my mind that the best way to sell your current book is to write another one I'm thinking blimey <laughs> you know it's it's it's, it's a exhausting. massive undertaking and also around around work and I, I love my job I, I work in um, construction but uh, um, I work in construction I'm a senior site engineer for a, a large um, UK um, contractor well they're, they're European but um based in the UK in the southwest and we put up these these wonderful buildings and the, the site I'm on at the moment, we had a huge piling rig there in, in, in the sort of first stages, one of the biggest piling rigs in the UK. And in fact, I wrote a little bit of flash fiction about that piling rig. Right. And I think that's on my, um, my LinkedIn thing. And we got this what's called a, a slip form rig and it's, it's basically this factory and you put steel and concrete in it and that rises up to the sky and you're left with this great concrete tower and it's it's a, it's a the construction is great it's, it's a really dynamic exciting environment but I find to do my job properly is can be pretty exhausting yeah and also I have I, I have a young family at home um and, and sort of other pursuits and honestly to carve out the time to write a book it's a pretty big hill to climb yeah so once you once you've done one you're not i i found in too too great a rush to launch into the second one it, it's it's just a huge huge amount of effort the writing it the editing it's effectively another job
0: there's a lot which, involved yeah, there's yeah.
1: a massive amount involved so i thought about well what do i want to do next and and uh, i was thinking, well i, I know what i gotta do next I, I need to write another one so in the course of, um, I'm still going to like book fairs and, and sort of uh, sort of literary events and all this kind of thing, and I went to this one where I, I spoke to this um, um, lady who, who gave me some some really so lots of advice that, that really got me thinking and one the thing because i'd said to her look i've done this I, oh i i had um, a radio interval interview on bbc bristol i mean it, it opened up a world of things and i started writing um science fiction articles for a european website and that that went down pretty well i'm, I'm so very you, proud of you those. Took this
0: lady's advice she said Write so what she and said start to put it out there in short no
1: form. what she's because i i'd forgotten I'd, I'd done these other writing projects at the time but what this lady said was the stuff you're doing is great, because I was thinking, or what I put to her was, you know, I've been on the radio, I'm doing some other things. How do I sell my book? How do I do it? And she said to me, if you want to keep writing as a hobby, then continue writing for children. But if you want to live the dream and, and, and make some sort of living out of it, you've got to write for an adult audience. Oh. And I took that away thinking, hmm, well, that's given me something to think about. Because
0: Imbrium City is really aimed at that teenage market.
1: Imbrium City is for 9 to 12-year-olds, right. middle grades. Yeah, very much so, very much so. I was I was kind of, I I, I sort of, I was a bit uncertain whether I was going to go a young adult, um, but w- when I wrote it it, it, it was fairly and squarely at that market. And when you're writing a book, you do need to know what, what you're aiming at. In fact, that was one of the issues I had with my first attempt, which... Uh, But I I decided to show... You weren't
0: specific enough about your audience. No, you
1: you have got to know who you're writing for. That that is very important. Otherwise, it's just a bit of a mess. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I did do that. I I had achieved that. So I'm thinking, okay, an adult audience. Um, And also, what, what I had in mind was... You know I've, I've ticked the box of achieving this lifelong dream now what i want to look at is more the commercial side and you know is it is it even feasible to, to make it make a living out or so at least get some sort of financial return that reflects the the months and years yeah. of, of you know of effort you put into these things so i thought well what do, what do i want to do and I thought about, um, like, a damn Brown blockbuster or something like that. And you think, well, no, that's, like, an inch and a half thick. I will never finish it. Mm. And I'm thinking what other things. And then I came across an article on, on romance. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. And uh, this particular thing, it was, it was, like, in The Guardian or something. And it was a profile of a particular romance writer. And a little bit about Mills and Boone specifically. And I, I thought, this could be um, pretty lucrative. And there are a few other things that are appealing about it. Mills and Boone specifically, but probably all, all the other um, sort of uh, romance publishers. Generally, 50,000 words, that's that's about the size of the book mm. that they do, in certainly in some of their um, categories. And I thought, well, I've just done that. I've just written a 50,000 word book. So I can do that. It's possible. And the other big appealing thing was you don't need an agent. They, they will welcome um, unsolicited manuscripts, they're called. <laughs> so I thought, well, why not? I'll give it a go. So... I um, immersed myself in romance. I read about a dozen Mills and Boone books, and also um, also um, other independent books because I'm I'm now part of the independent publishing world. So I, I you know, there's I mean, romance is a massively popular um, genre, Yeah. and it's always it's it's given a bad name because it's uh, um, seen as a bit lowbrow compared to um, you know other genres, and it, it's completely unfair.
0: Is it true that it's written to a formula, you know, it's
1: like... Well, now, that that is interesting. As a romance writer, I will defend the genre of romance. People say, well, to, to answer your question, if you look on the Mills & Mill website, there are certain things they are looking for, um, and that is that conflict between the characters. They, they don't like secondary characters and this kind of thing. But the it is not formulaic. No, I, I would not go along with that. But there are certain expectations that the romance reader... Um, expects some of that is it's got to be um, the two characters they, they don't like secondary characters it's all about that passion and that conflict and that intense writing about the, the sort of dance the two characters play do they love each other do they not blah 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 the main one and the one that, that the genre gets maligned for is um it must end in a happier happy after.
0: ending Of course, it must be a happier
1: for after or a happy for now uh, so for Mills and, reads, and Boone, it
0: has to have a happy ending because I'm going to tell you a story. Because
1: romance, romance in general, it must have I a happy was
0: d- just reading a book called Bittersweet, which is <clears throat> okay. by Susan Kane, and it's all about... It's called Bittersweet, sorrow, How Sorrow and Longing <clears throat> Make Us Whole. And as, she goes in all sorts of directions around how creativity really is taking our pain or our sense of loss of something... <laughs> And creating something beautiful out of mm-hmm. it—that's that's one of the sort of main frames. Of and in it, she tells a story about there's a, a novel called Bridges Over Madison County. Okay. And there, the two protagonists—they have an affair, and then and it lasts for four days, and then they decide not to run away together. So you could argue it's not really a happy ending because at the end of it, she stays in her marriage life, and he goes off. He was a National Geographic photographer, and he goes off, and he sends her an album at the end of their lives. Of the photographs that were inspired by that moment in time. Um, and okay. I guess you could take away from it. I but, alter,
1: oh, yeah, yeah, oh, oh, no. Alter. So
0: but 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 apparently so it sold twelve million copies straight mm-hmm. off, and there was lots of debate about whether that was a happy ending or whether it wasn't a happy ending.
1: Okay. So in the world of uh, romance and um <clears throat> romance um fans have have their own name for it, it's called Romance Landia. It's a wonderful world, that's a term for romance. And if you were to go on Twitter and suggest you've written a romance book which doesn't have a happy ending, the true romance fans would shoot you down. Right. Um, so when people say... Oh, what's the point? You know what's going to happen. It's like it's 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 like if you were to watch an episode of Morse and you get to the end of the two hours and he hasn't solved the case. You know, it's all about resolution. Yeah. The reader expects those two characters to come together at the end um, and be happy. And if they haven't done that, and they know full well that that's that's where the head, the um but there'll be a challenge along the way. Oh yeah, there'll be um, internal conflicts and all this kind of business. In fact, that's another one that um, is part of that. It's going to be kind of internal conflicts, You know, head and heart and all this kind of business. But the, the reader will nevertheless enjoy the journey of knowing that the two are going to end and they won't for one moment think, um, you know, they're being cheated and they would be cheated. If, if, they, got, you know, if they
0: read this book and it yeah. was like, oh, and of so course the, leaves the, you the, the, feeling a little bit flat. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And the other expectation is there's going to be sex in it. Um, which I don't wow. hold back um, on, on my one. So um, you say is it formulaic. It's not formulaic, but there are certain expectations that the romance reader has, and if you don't fulfil those, I don't think your your next book will be will be particularly. So to popular. get
0: published within that that
1: sort of genre, the, the sort of Mills and Boon. That's what romance. Yeah. That's what uh, romance landia. That that's what the. That's what the readers want.
0: So interestingly, and, and this is, I didn't, you know, you said you've, you've um, published under a nom de plume or a, yeah, yeah, a pseudonym, a, a pseudonym um, which is?
1: Remy Mariano.
0: Remy Mariano. So you've got this book, A Millionaire, An Artist, A Seduction, which oh, I haven't read that yet, so I am definitely going to read it. So... Was that published under that? You, you, yeah. You so the first thing I should sure make
1: is... absolutely crystal clear is I do not write for Mills and Boone. Um, I, I went through that process. I submitted my um, uh, my story, and I got another rejection. But I, that, that is part of the writer's life, and yeah, I, I, I saw you... something. You've got to expect rejection <laughs> you, as a you've writer. You've heard
0: Liz Gilbert's. You don't eat, pray, love. And she yeah. collected rejection
1: letters. Or J.K. Rowling. I mean, you know, yeah, exactly. It's so, very so that's
0: why i was so interested to talk to you because I want to talk to you while you're still in the collecting rejection letters phase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when you find it big time, <laughs> because it's it's so powerful to to like to talk to people about where you get that instinct to just keep going and not to to give up.
1: Well, to be honest, I I, I, I more or less expected it. I mean, Mills and Boon particularly. Um, They get inundated. The same as any any uh, agent or or, or sort of large publishing house, they get inundated with so little they can really pick and choose, and a bald. 50-year-old bloke with glasses who who works on a building site. is probably not their ideal marketing. But you
0: just never know. And you never know what is going to capture someone's imagination. You know, it's just that moment where, oh, and then it does get picked. But in the meantime, you've got now two novels under your belt. And and the thing that really impressed me was this, the latest short story that you Mm -hmm. submitted to BBC Radio Bristol, which is called Love, Loss and a Library. And that ended up being read out. yes on the radio yes, it, it was yeah. such a lovely story it was just amazing yeah. to hear it sort of out loud so <clears> two <throat> things short stories compared to writing novels and then what was the sort of do you now look yes. out for opportunities to get them out there
1: well i kind of i kind of always did yeah there's a, there's a few things there. Eh? so first of all if you're writing a novel so not, you're not. not doing anything else, and so I thought after um, the um, my my romance, contemporary romance, I thought, well, I don't really want to tuck myself away for. You know, another two years, right along, because uh, you know all that time you're you're not doing anything else. And I think you know when when I um approach um, an agent next uh, for for the next one, it you know it's it, you've got to have those publishing credits. Mm. Um, otherwise, what what reason have they to to look at your um your work? Um, aside from somebody else who, who does all that stuff. And also, just just going back to the um, um the two I've done, what was really interesting for me was the, the contrast in the styles of writing. With um, science fiction, you've got the universe. You know, science fiction novels tend to be huge. You go kind of anywhere there. Also, I didn't do this, but you can play around with time. You know, for me, good science fiction is big. Big, 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 big. you know, Mm -hmm. it's huge. And then if we go to um, the romance, you've got two characters. Um, You know, and it's that that dance, that sort of tassel between the two. And you've got to generate 50,000 words with just these two characters and the tensions and the the conflict and and the love and the passion and all that sort of stuff. So it was a really interesting experience going from one thing to the other. And I will find with um, science fiction thing, I'm sort of plodding along. And a good writing tip is when you're when you're writing that first draft, don't go back. Just keep plodding through that first draft. Get that story down. Don't waste time research. Don't waste time with punctuation and all that sort mm. of business. You just need to kind of plow ahead and, and get that story down, and you can always come back. And I find that, you know, what, what will be um, like a, a good sort of um, plot twist or Or, you know, the way I want to tell the story is if I have something here, if, for example, I want a gun behind the wardrobe, then I make a mental note, that, or I make a note in my book on the next draft, some, some secondary character can put a gun behind the wardrobe or something like that, so when I revisit that, I can put that in, and you're a god! You create, you know, yeah. you, 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 you create this story. Um, much, much less so with romance. So I thought, here we go. I've got to write another book. I, I don't know if I can once again launch into this. Because, of course, the other thing to bear in mind is the stuff around the house I'm not doing, which mm. my, my wife was saying. <laughs> <laughs> when we finish this we've got to like you know, okay, know fix the on toilet writing. or paint the wall <laughs> or something like that you know I, I tuck myself in, in, in my sort of room like for hours at a time weeks, months, years you know yeah, there's yeah. stuff I need to be doing as well yeah. so I'm kind of conscious that I'm being a bit neglectful of the family so for that reason I thought well I'll, I'll just try and get a few short stories out there and I, I was writing short stories um, previously but again rejection, rejection, rejection quite often when, when when there is story um, competition, it will attract a lot of a lot of entrants, yeah, a lot yeah. of people, a lot of people in in my position. There's only a finite number of winners to those. Plus, I, I guess found... what happens
0: is people write a short story and then they could. There's nothing to stop them submitting it. You know, they may have written it five years ago, but yeah, there's competition right. coming yeah, up. Yeah, and... yeah,
1: that's right. So you, you find you have like a, a backlog of material which didn't quite make the, the grade for for you know whatever it was wrote for i thought well I'll, I'll start sort of putting it there what what i was really trying to do was get a few publishing credits and i was quite successful with that i put um one of my stories on linkedin and that got a tremendous amount of hits another one i did for, for the radio um, another one i did for a, a website called cafe lit and that that did very well so the radio story. one, because I mean
0: that's the one I'm most interested in, because it was it was picked up. You know, so you you record it into a. But yeah, sound so the re- the
1: recent radio review, there is a regional BBC radio program called Upload, and they invite. The audience to submit pieces and, and you might be uh, that might be a bit musical or poetry or whatever if you're a band you, you can um, do something but they're also interested in um, writing something about they mentioned the pandemic and I thought well I I haven't actually written anything about the pandemic um, yet and I wanted to do that and um, I didn't want to write anything too bleak or angsty so i i sat down and wrote a story and the 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 story behind that story was i remember and, and I, I spoke about this on the interview i remember seeing something on social media just before the pandemic and it was about this woman who she would when she when she uh read a novel she enjoyed she'd write an inscription in the book and leave it somewhere public inviting other people to to look in this you know so yeah oh, that's a, that's a really nice idea you know, write a book, write something, and leave it for the next person, and leave it on like a park bench or something. So the first thing you do is pick it up, see, so like you, you know, this is this is a gift to you. Yeah. Please, please do the same sort of, you know, sort of pay it forward type thing. So that was that's why it was kind of like kicking around in my head. And also near where I live, um, on my my jogging routes, there is one of those um, phone boxes which has been converted into a library, a sort of book exchange yeah. type thing. So I sat down to write this story about the pandemic, and those two ideas. Somehow gelled and I wrote a story and um, I recorded that and sent it into this upload. I sent him that and, and the, the radio presenter got in touch with me and said, um, we like your story. Can we use it? And did I want to be interviewed? And
0: what's so funny is what? when I said to you I want you to come on the podcast you were like oh my god there's no you've been on national radio or, or yeah. BBC radio Bristol twice which is live <laughs> and you were no I can't do the podcast no that's that's just too daunting but tell me the story of it so how does it work because I I don't do any live recordings how does it work with live radio
1: Well the fir- the first one I did I had written my um I had written my children's book I had written um, my science fiction articles, and, and that and that was all great. So, so I sent sent into the Chapman, and the, the radio certainly got in touch with me, said, "Do you want to come on on, on the radio as as a guest?" And I thought, oh. I, I certainly wasn't angling for that. I mean, he—he's he, a, a very—he's uh, a funny guy, and he, he has this sort of humorous thing. And I, my sort of article was a bit sort of tongue in cheek. And I thought—I thought i thought he would just appreciate mm. something that, that um, was relevant to what, what they've been talking about. So uh, I went along to that. So off I go to took the day off work. Off I go to um, BBC Radio Bristol studios in um, Clifton, and um, uh, you kind of walk through there, and, and you, you're in the newsroom, and you see the people from um, the TV, from like sort of points west, and, and they're, they're all preparing for their, their bits and pieces. And I brought my flute along, actually, because I, I thought I'll, I'll play this and just add a bit of interest or whatever, kind of. Uh, <laughs> so he's on there, so so suddenly, like the door opens, you you, you walked in there, and and my next guest is Anthony Brum, he comes in, blah, blah, blah. And he's oh, on there, and it's like, oh, my God! You know, yeah. kind of in front of this thing. Like, you don't get any training or anything like that. You kind of, in you come, in you come, sit in the seat.
0: So he didn't talk to you about what he was going to ask you, or?
1: Well, he he asked. So this was Steve Yabsley on, on the As was the Lunchtime Show, um, so he's kind of he's he's sort of well, you know, kind of well informed to ask sort of pointed questions that you that you can expand upon. Mm. Very, very good interview. It was a, it was a bizarre, surreal experience and I did play my flute one and it didn't go very well because really <laughs> it doesn't help that you know all your work colleagues are listening you know you're live yeah. you've got this big on air thing with this big red light and I'm and my mouth got so dry and you can't you can't play the flute right way right? no. so I sort of stumbled through that a bit and I came I, I walked out of there and, and his producer showed me a few famous faces and walked through they were all lovely they very very accommodating they made it as as kind of as a sort of least daunting as, as it was possible but I walked out of there I had no idea what I just said it was it was just <laughs> a bizarre you know, so surreal then, experience that's
0: like oh that's the first time I've been on, on live radio mm. and, and done and so writing
1: then, yeah open that world to me did yeah. that
0: did that then make it easier when you were talking about your shorts because you came across very eloquently in, in the, in the
1: yeah. chat
0: about the short story
1: yeah I mean that, that chap also he, he asked me if I was coming to the studio but I was working that day and it would have been a bit of a rush to get over us so, well I'll, I'll do it over the phone on, on mm-hmm. Teams. Or I, I ended up doing a phone conversation so I was pacing up and down so they, they played they played the <laughs> like recording the cements
0: poured and yeah.
1: <laughs> and I can hear myself on on the uh, on the phone so I make sure you turn the radio off and all the rest of it Gosh. so I'm ready to leap in there when, when the first question hits so I was pacing up and down and then my <laughs> wife and the kids are listening downstairs on the radio as well um, and I'm trying to sort of answer these questions and um, I thought that well, he's bound to ask me you know where do you get your ideas from so i had this lovely rehearsed answer where i talk about my book and i talk about this and that and he didn't he asked something about um something about the the, the characters and, and the, the emotion felt or something yeah and that's, i was kind of just spinning then, and i didn't quite come back to all the things i wanted to say but it was great i mean it, it was, was. It, it went okay it, it went did. okay
0: it did and, and it's again it's a testament that like you say none of this would have come about if you hadn't been leaning into that writing
1: yes so the whole i mean just from that very first writing that first novel which which you know was not good enough from there i've done that i've I've written and published um two novels subsequently i've done these uh um, these articles for the science fiction website. I've done um, some pieces of, of flash fiction, which I think I've put on LinkedIn. They're sort of construction related. I've written um, some short stories, and sometimes I look back and think, how how have I done this? Yeah, yeah. How I mean, I, like I said before, i know there's, there's there's been no great financial um, sort of comeback from any of this, but just just the time it takes to sit down and put one one word in front of the other you know do you
0: find yourself you get into a state of flow and you lose track of time
1: you you've you've kind of got to i mean what the difficult i find is it's very difficult to do that after you've done a day's work and you're tired mm-hmm. and then other distractions and commitments once once you do reach that flow you know you and then you lose yourself in it then yeah that that's that's a tremendous feeling and, and that's kind of where you've got to be. Mm. Um, but there's there's no there's no denying it's difficult. Yeah. Writing is hard. It's it's really, really hard. And if you find that you're still you're still working. Because I found when I was working each evening to try and finish that, that first one off, I found that um I was exhausted. When I went to mm. bed the kind of mm. the the mental effort required to do that and also in front of the screen and all the rest of it, it's 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 massively difficult. Neil Gaiman um, And I think other other, um, writers have said, you know, it's kind of akin to, you're driving sort of through the fog at night with one headlight sort of um, out or whatever. You, You know, you're driving ever so slowly down this road, but you can make that journey. Every now and then the fog will lift and you see the path ahead and you sort of carry on. But it it is, it is tough. It is tough. It 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 takes a a tremendous amount of And it takes
0: that consistency, just showing up, to just keep showing up. (laughs)
1: Yeah. So you've talked
0: about the challenge of just getting it out there, just getting, carving out the time, making it work. On the radio, you said you're part of Thornbury Writing Group.
1: Yeah. How much does that
0: play a part, just having that structure of, like, meeting up with people and...
1: It's... A very good support network. That definitely helps the process, mm-hmm. you know, because we, we we kind of we're, we're sort of passionate about it. We'll, we'll bring our own sort of you know sort of games well, it's just the nice knowing or... that
0: there are other people out there who are yeah. the same sort of thing you know not necessarily that they've been published yet but they're sort of on that path and yeah. peer review of, of your writing because
1: one of the things I should say is when I when I first published that in real City that, that my, my first novel I was so proud of myself because I did it from nowhere yeah I knew nothing about any I, I didn't I didn't know the writer circle at the time I'd started going to the odd workshop but I hadn't really there's there been no networking there were some pretty fundamental errors i did make with that actually which i um i didn't for example understand the importance of having a professional cover and um the lady i met at literary festival put me right on that so i was still making some some pretty big blunders mm. but still i i'd, I'd, I'd achieved that goal i think it's one of the proudest moments of my life to be honest that i i managed to publish yeah. A novel
0: yeah you
1: know and so it should be starting absolutely from scratch with no help from anybody but now <clears throat> as, as you get into it you know the, the more you kind of find yourself in, in, in kind of environment then you, you kind of you gravitate and you attract other people that um that are like-minded yeah absolutely. so i would urge people to um, anyone who, who is in in this sort of position to, to find a writing group that the support and the, the feedback you get is invaluable
0: fabulous you know we we got together because you have always been very kind and given me such positive feedback about the podcast.
1: The podcasts are excellent. Um,
0: what, what, They're really good. Actually. Well, yeah, and I love doing them. You should be proud of them. <laughs> and it is. This is the this is the body of work I am most proud of um, because it's now what we episode sixty three. And how many thousand downloads or whatever have you had? And just hitting 9,000 downloads. Wow! And yeah, when you when you put it into numbers, you're like, wow. I don't even know how many people that means, but just knowing that it's definitely finding an audience. <clears throat> it's finding yeah. people who like to listen to these sort of stories. Um, so yeah, that act of simple kindness, what came up for you when I started to ask you about an act of kindness? Yes,
1: an act of kindness. That's interesting. I put quite a lot of thought into that. And I, also, I asked uh, my oldest son Toby, Toby, what's, what's, what, what could be a, a, an act of kindness that sort of really impacted me? And he said, "Well, I, I just got you a beer when you asked, Rick. <laughs> well, that, that's good, Toby. That is good. <laughs> I need something a bit more profound." And then I started thinking about Cameron, my younger son, and. He he buys the most thoughtful gifts. There was Mm. one occasion where um, I was struggling with a story and Father's Day was coming up. He went on the internet because he was only about... I'm 11 or 12 at the time, he bought me a fountain pen. What a lovely, that's the most thoughtful person I've ever received.
0: Oh, that's so And also,
1: also, this, toward the end of last year, I had a very heavy night out and I decided to stop drinking. And and that's, that's another story for another time. But um, again, he, uh, at Christmas, he presented me with a lovely, I won't say the name of the manufacturer in case anyone gets into trouble. He presented me with this lovely sort of set of low alcohol beers with a gift glass and all the rest. I said, well, how did you do this? And he said, oh, when, when he ordered it, he ordered it on his Go Henry card. And then he, he, he made sure he was in when it was delivered. And then the delivery man said, I need, I, need a, uh, I need a name, mate. I can't just give it to you, this beer. Even though it's low alcohol, the, the policy is you're yeah. still supposed to you not give it to a miner. can't even do market
0: deliveries.
1: No. So, he he, um, he pretended that my name was Cameron, having bought it himself, and he gave him my date of birth and basically fraudulently sealed the deal. Oh, my <gasps> word. Lord. How clever. So, I thought that again, what amazing. a lovely, thoughtful gift. So, I was thinking about that, and I kept thinking about family and, and, and my parents and, and this kind of thing, and I, I'm tremendously grateful for um the upbringing that, that my mum and my dad gave myself and my sister i look back and i think i, I had a good childhood yeah. you know I, I i had a heavy childhood friends i didn't find school too traumatic or anything like that and i was thinking well is there a is there a single instance there where there was a particular act of kindness and i sort of come around to the um, idea that it wasn't the kindness directed towards me, it was the kindness that I saw my, my mother show in her 25 years of childminding. Yeah. From, my, from my, my earliest years, my mum my was a childminder, that the house was full of kids. Of all all backgrounds, all races, of this kind of thing. This was the upbringing that, that you know that, that I remember. And also, these were in the days where regulation was was just coming in, or it was kind of being ignored. And there's no way that the uh, childminders these days would have the number of children that that my mother looked after. Yeah. but she she loved every one of of those kids, and she would go above and beyond. There was one chap, and he was pretty much a single parent, and she'd get up early to take his child. There were there were kids that we have sometimes over weekends because. The parents had difficulties. There were, there were, you know, she, every one of those children she she sort of loved and cared for, and it, it wasn't all sweetness and light. There were many, many, many families, and she had these children for for years and years. They would call her auntie. That that was what. Wow. They were. But there, there were some kids in her care that were being abused, and I remember her threatening the um, the parents, saying if, it, if it, she found a cut on the ear of one of the kids where the the, the child, you know, she, she got it out of him. He was he was cut with. Horrendous! A, a tin can that would open, and, oh. and the parent took it with to it. And she she threatened those parents with, you know, if I find another mark on these kids, I'm going to the police or social services. And there were, there were a few instances like that. Mm. So she um at the moment here, yeah. She um she she just absolutely loved them, and she said that um, she was. I was talking to her. Um, only the other day I said there's some of the kids that went through there and, and they've they've gone on to become doctors and she feels immensely proud of yeah. that. But somehow she was a part of that. So it was that lovely sort of warmth and humour and kindness and, and that is the um that is the act of kindness that I witnessed because it undoubtedly shaped me. And also like to this day, I mean my mum my is 90 now my, my dad's in his late 80s, she her health has been declining for some years. But she still remains one of the most happiest, cheerful, positive people I have ever known. Yeah, and she, I'm having another moment here, and she she's never happier than with the, the kids around, like my kids. Well, it's a testament to her that you're such
0: a close family. Yeah. you still go over there, and yeah, you know, that's, she that's, loves being around the children. Her, her world, if,
1: if you you know if, if she if she was physically able would revolve around those children. And whenever we go down, and I don't go down, I mean, it's such a journey to get down, this, it is quite difficult. But, you know, the, she'll, she'll play games all night with the kids, and um, they, they love it. It's a lovely, lovely thing to see.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So that is my answer. So big shout-out to your mum and dad. Yes. You have yes, to say hello. I'm hoping yeah. that they'll get to hear this, but... Mm. I know how close you are as a family and I know how much it has been a struggle for her with her health over the last year. Yeah, we've few had years. it we, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's yeah, been yeah. um but yeah, she's obviously a real powerhouse when it comes to yeah. just lending a hand when
1: it's yeah. when it's needed. A huge, huge heart, huge generosity of spirit. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And she definitely paid it forward. She definitely yes, uh, yeah. instilled that in you and Claire. Yeah, yeah um, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful story. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So moving on to music, I know you're you're a ukulele yeah. player. You play the Irish flute. Um, yeah, I'm, so that, I'm that, that I'm all kicked off. I'm interested to see how yeah how this this question of like what's the one song.
1: Uh, yeah, so the whole the whole Irish music thing that kicked off, if, if you remember, in days years ago where. Um, uh, the internet was a dial-up connection. You had to wait an age for it to... turn to, up. To... I had a tin whistle that my mum bought me, actually. My mum's from the west coast of Ireland. And on a, a family visit, she brought back a tin whistle. And I ended up playing the... the tinkering around with it while the, the broadband connection was, was waiting to connect. And I gradually got more interested in playing the tin whistle than, than I did... You know, whatever it was I was sort of looking on the internet. And I thought, this, this is good. I like this. And so I started looking around for where I could um, develop this... Um, this interest, and I found the Hibernia Centre in, in Bristol, which is still running to this day, in a place called Avonmouth on the outskirts of Bristol, and that um, celebrates, or certainly at the time when I went, all aspects of Irish culture, dancing and language, and, and particularly music, it revolves around the music. and So I came along with, with my Tim whistle and I was going there, and, and that was, I've never been particularly interested in football, or, or any sport really and like that I, that was my, my my new passion i got mm, right yeah. into irish music and from there i got a, a a flute um and i started going to sessions and i was going going and going and going and it, it was great it, it, again you you get into these things and, and you sort of discover like
0: well, it's uh, clearly in your you know, know it's where you
1: found yeah, this from yeah. and so um to to, to, contribute, you, you needed to be a, be a sort of reasonable standard, and then I found when, when the family started coming along, the I, I had less and less time to devote to the Irish music, so I, I sort of parked it for a while, <clears throat> and I think I became a little bit depressed. By the time the Amber, um, a third child came along, I I was fine. I was I was I was only. Leaving the house for work or childcare, and then mm. on Amber's fifth or sixth birthday, somebody got her a little ukulele. So I picked this up and I was just, I mean, it was strong with this, and I realized how much I missed music. Yeah. So I, I sort of looked into this and amazingly found out there's this. Tremendous Club called The, the Thornbury Ukulele Jam uh, Where I live So I started Going along to that Everyone should Play the ukulele yeah. It's just such A happy Joyful instrument Sometimes it Is People are a little Dismissive because It's small and It looks like a toy But it is, it's, a, it's It's a It's a a skilled ukulele player is is you know you, you've got to, you've got to put the work in sort of there but
0: easier to get started than than g- guitar it's, which i think can sort of yeah yeah well the,
1: really the main the, what, what i sort of found with the difference between like ukulele and guitar firstly there's less less number of strings so it's inherently mm. easier there. but also with guitar um, steel strings are a little harder yeah. than the nylon strings you tend to get with ukulele. So as a, as a sort of a beginner instrument, if you just learn three chords, you know that, that opens up. A, I think that's the thing you can get to the point
0: where you can at least make a decent sound from a ukulele mm. without you know the hours and hours it would need to do the same. But orchestra.
1: as well as that. There is something uplifting if you're in a, a room full of people and we're all banging out a Beatles song and even if you can't play, you're <laughs> shouting, you know, you're singing it. There's something truly uplifting yeah, about a yeah. good old sing-song. Yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah I've, I've kind of... I wouldn't say I'm particularly accomplished at playing the ukulele, but that doesn't sort of diminish the the, the joy of, you know, I've like got, got a few of them now. My, my current one is this kind of sort of carbon fibre sort of grey thing, it's like a sort of heavy metal thing and with a plug-in so I can plug in my little amp and all, all this sort of business. It, it, it's sort of tremendous fun. Fantastic. So I'm sort of doing that on the side, and I, I, I sort of was clinging on by my fingernails to the Irish music I did sort of get back into that, so now I play regularly with Tiani Mara. Tiani T- T- so Mara so is that we, Irish. T- 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 I think Mara. it means oh, I should know this. Something to do with nails, and it's it's it's, it's to do with to do with nailsy, where most of the band, Oh, I, I the it, right. Expression of of something which which has got uh, ties to locally where, where most of the guys meet. We we meet up um, uh, every um, two three weeks. And uh, we do um, gigs um, every so often, but I, I'm, I'm so glad that I managed to retain that, that, that interest because it's you, you sort of you put the work in and um you know it's music is a fantastic um, hobby anyway
0: Mm, you know mm.
1: it it, it, obviously brings you a lot of joy yeah absolutely it does so when it comes to
0: choosing a song that takes you to a certain place oh yeah i didn't get to that yeah sorry yeah
1: that was a question (laughs) that's all right that's all right so um i thought about some some um obscure irish thing that nobody would have heard of Perhaps a Matt Malloy track or something like that, but it, that will mean absolutely nothing to any of your listenership. Or Lunasa, I remember once um, my wife and I went on a very what's the word? Self-indulgent holiday for me. Around this is before children. Around the places in Ireland where there were real big sort of traditional Irish music sort of centres around Ireland, and we 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 happened to go to Dublin, and that week the very week we were playing, there was a band called Lunasa. Um, were playing, who were a massive, massive traditional Irish group. And we got in there, and it was just it was just phenomenal. We had pretty much front row seats here in this amazing band, you know, real in, inspirational stuff. But in the end, I decided not to go with any of that. I went back to my student days, and I, I had such a good time when I, when I was a student. I did work as well. Yeah. <clears throat> my, my sort of student journey was my A-levels were, were pretty poor. So I I went into um, Oxford Polytechnic doing an HND in civil engineering while I was there um, and had the the name changed to Oxford Brookes University and I stayed on a few years and I left oxford brooks university with a master's degree in civil engineering so that's the journey i was quite proud that's of that's
0: pretty good so you, yeah. you you've
1: got to put in a bit of work to do that but at the same time i have i have such fond memories of being a student and it's that camaraderie um for most people myself included you know you're living away from home for the first time and you know everyone's in the same boat no, nobody's got any money but it's fine because you're all there you, you meet lifelong friends i met my wife yeah, um, my system. sister Helen. Yeah, I, I I met my 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 life partner there. I think we had other things. We had a fantastic. I remember the um, the rag hitch to Amsterdam. I did once, and my rag hitch partner Hilary We, we went to Amsterdam and we, we we made all our signs going round the M twenty five to Harwich, and uh, we we went some part of it. I think it was a, a chap driving chickens or something. And he waves off saying good luck, bye bye. And I said to Hillary, That's the signs. We're supposed (laughs) to be looking after the signs. And all that chat going, trundling around the M25 with our signs in the back, and just such lovely, fond memories. And I was never happier than sat in the student bar with my rollies, smoking my roll ups drinking cheap lager out of plastic glasses and on the on the, um, on the the stereo would be um, Sit Down by James. So Aye. that is the one I'm going to go nice with. It was song. a massive, massive track at the time
0: yeah. um, and
1: it was a bit sort of student studenty anyway and that, that is the one because it, it, it kind of, it takes me right back there to my, my, my days as a student which were fantastic.
0: Fabulous, fabulous. Well, certainly it's a song we haven't got on the, I know the song very well. It's, it was obviously part of when I was mm-hmm. growing up to and uh, a welcome addition to the playlist so thank you for that and then is there a piece of wisdom that you'd like to
1: add to my collection Mm, yeah do you know i struggle with this one as well um i find now the things that light me up the things that i'm passionate about are my writing um running which you haven't really spoken about there's not much to talk about, to be honest. It's just something <laughs> I just have to take up. On and
0: get on with it. Well, yeah.
1: it's something that I could take up as, as some sort of activity around having children. Yeah. Just yeah. In, in the midst of that when they're very young and I felt I was just doing nothing. So I took up running. And that, I find, helps my, my mental health tremendously. Yeah. I, re- I really find uh, running does, does help, uh, you know. You
0: and know, probably that's where all your ideas love, I mean, permeate. You know, often writers yeah. and creatives will say, take a step back from it. Go for a walk, go for a I'm run. I it's almost
1: like meditating. I, yeah. I never listen to music. I have tried that. And I, I just, I prefer, I prefer not to. I just prefer, you know, my own kind of solitary yeah. thoughts. Yeah, yeah. And if, if I have done that, I've got some sort of knotty plot thing, which isn't quite working. I go for a run, you come back, and then it sort of does resolve itself. Yeah. So, um, yeah, my, my writing, my, my music, and I only took up the Tim Whistle. That was the start of me in my 30s. Um, all that sort of stuff. You know, I, 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 I did all that. Relatively late in life, so it's a bit of a cliche. But you know, just just try everything. See what yeah. see what sort of what lights you up. You know, you, you've you've got to follow your bliss. That's a, a lovely saying. You, you've got to yeah. carve your own path. You've got to sort of follow your star. Any one of those. Yeah. That, that that will be follow that your bliss.
0: Be... I love that idea. It's, yeah. it, it is about find
1: your bliss. You know, yeah. and anything like that. Do
0: something that really. You, you lose joy. yourself in it absolutely yeah, yeah. absolutely no that's great advice and thank you for adding that it is you know really important to maybe even say to your kid you did come to this relatively late in life but it's never you know it's never too yeah. late to start something it's also n- never too early to say okay i'll give this mm-hmm. a go right now and i know you yeah. have amber plays the ukulele
1: and... yeah 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 yeah, yeah. I, w- I was um warned um very early for one of my work colleagues that um don't expect your kids to have any of your interests. No,
0: no. And that's the other thing. You can't, you know, just cuz it it brings you a lot of joy doesn't mean it's going
1: to yeah, be them. Yeah. Yeah. But
0: as a as a way of, <coughs> yeah, as a compass in life, I think just find things that really do light you up that you love doing yeah. and do them anyway whether whether you're going to get a yes. financial reward um yes
1: there, there's value in simply enjoying it
0: yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely well listen it's been a pure joy to have you on the podcast and thanks for being such a supporter of this venture of mine which brings me a lot of joy and yeah thank you for no, it's been the thank to you. Be here. thank
1: you thank you very much <laughs> it's been a pleasure bye now
0: So there you have it. Follow your bliss, which is such great advice. And as promised, I'll leave you with Ant reading out his own story, Love, Loss and a Library. Thank you so much for joining us and hope to see you next time.
1: Love, Loss and the Library. Alice touched the bright red exterior of her phone box with both hands as if she were about to deliver some bad news to an old friend. At her feet was a large cardboard box, crumpled at the corners, reinforced with several bands of parcel tape. She had just laid the box on the ground, grateful to be relieved of the burden, which seemed to get heavier the further she went. This journey was never easy, and the light spots of rain in the air did nothing to soften her mood. This was the fortnightly visit to exchange books, but today there was something else on the agenda, a meeting with a council official, with whom she would had a few terse conversations. She was looking forward to tearing into the officious weasel. She opened the door to the phone booth, or the hub, as it had become affectionately known. The handset had been removed years ago and it had taken a liberal sloshing of bleach to decontaminate the derelict, stinking interior. She reminisced about the fleck of paint taken to the DIY store to find an exact match. Blisters of rust were scraped bare, and with a little touch-up here and a minor dab there, the finished project was nothing less than magnificent. The shells too fitted impeccably, something had obviously rubbed off from the happy years spent with Frank. And she was grateful she hadn't given his tools away after he had passed on the floor of the phone booth lay another box partially stacked with books with the word returns scribed on the side these would be taken home for quarantine mrs joiner alice spun round momentarily startled i'm malcolm from the council she grimaced he was younger than she'd imagined with a kind face not the bureaucratic desk warrior she had pictured nonetheless there will be no friendly chit chat She stepped away from the booth and the door swung shut. Only a week ago, she had ripped away the council's formal notice, which detailed their intention to have the booth removed. It currently lay scrunched up on her kitchen table amongst a stack of discarded ready-made meal containers and a couple of empty gin bottles. So, this is it, is it? Malcolm's gaze swept up and down the phone box as he opened the door. Wow! Two sides of the interior were lined with shelves containing neatly arranged books. The spines of each faced out in the jolly display of colours. He scanned the titles. That's a lot of books, he said before facing Alice. You'll have time, won't you, to give them all back. Whose are they? They don't belong to any one person, said Alice with a scowl. (coughs) They're here for anybody who wants to read them, especially at the moment when the libraries are shut. Well, said Malcolm, why can't you wait until the library opens again? Let me show you something. Sanitise, please. She gestured to the door of the phone box. You'll find some gel inside. Malcolm rubbed some into his hands. Pick a book. Any one. Tell me what you find inside. Malcolm frowned but Julie did as he was told. He opened a novel and appeared surprised. There's some sort of letter here. There's a load of notes. Messages. Yes, said Alice. There is. Pick another one. Malcolm carefully replaced the book and selected another. This one also had several sheets of notepaper clipped to the inside cover. He carefully lifted the top leaf then the next, skimming each entry. Are you telling me every one of these books has got a notepad in it? What's the point of that? The point, Malcolm, is that people like to connect with one another, and at the moment this is one of the few means of contact available. Well can't they just, I don't know, join an online book group or something? Give me that one, said Alice pointing. No, not that one, the blue one next to it. Alice opened the cover and read. This was a delight from start to finish, and I agree with Betty about the author's description of Torquay. I felt I was there. Beautiful. Alice closed the book. The Betty in that message is Mrs. Carter, the elderly lady who lives next to the hall. She's more or less housebound, wouldn't know what to do with a computer if she had one. What good are online book clubs to her? This is Joyner, this phone box. I'm afraid my manager has told me it's got to go. It costs us money. He looks apologetic as if hiding behind the bidding of his masters. But this was it, the set two that Talisa got up for that morning. You people, she spat. You sit at your desks making decisions that have all kinds of consequences and you don't care. You don't bother to find out what misery you cause. What about Betty, eh, and everyone like her? Her grandson comes here to fetch books because she can't get out of the house. That means nothing to you. You save halfpenny here and twopence there and that's all you give a damn about. I've made this place from nothing and with no help, and I'll tell you why. Because it matters. Because we need this place. And you bureaucrats, all the heartless, lazy, penny-pinching, couldn't-give-a-damn cronies in complete ignorance, go about cutting this and that." Alice continued her tirade, and when she reflected later, she would realise that her fury was part threat to her beloved hub, part lockdown stress, part loss of her husband of thirty years, in a makeshift hospital ward that she was barely allowed to visit, a great, gaping, painful hole in her life, a pouring out of grief that manifested itself as a bitter rant at this man simply trying to do his job. Okay, barked Malcolm, with hands raised, that's enough. She ceased abruptly. He gazed at the grounds, contemplative, and then suddenly opened the phone booth and withdrew a book. I noticed this one, it was a well-worn copy of Charlotte's Web by E.B. He opened it and browsed through the pages. Alice looked on, embarrassed at her outburst. Mum used to read this to us when we were little, but we never finished it. Her illness became too much and... He trailed off. May I borrow it? She took a moment to register the question. Yes, if you want. He nodded and closed the book with a snap. Mrs Joyner, my job is to get the phone box removed and that's lined up for next Friday. Okay. Having seen it for myself, I'm not satisfied the workmen will be sufficiently protected from Covid. Anyone could have touched a door. But won't your men just clean the handle before they knock it down, she said. We've got to be very careful in the current circumstances. I would expect the removal to be delayed for at least three weeks or the paperwork is resubmitted and approved. Right, said Alice, uncertain of where the conversation was heading. We are, as you point out, very bureaucratic. He attempted a wry smile but couldn't quite pull it off. What will cause me a problem is if you discover a form hidden away on the council's website titled, Appeal for Transformation of Landmark, and you're going to remember that. You need to type those exact words into the search bar. Appeal for Transformation of Landmark, she repeated. You might argue that, I don't know, the land should be used as a big flower pot, or to signpost a town. It doesn't really matter. If that form is lodged, I should think my hands will be tied for anything up to a year. It'll give you time to find somewhere else. Malcolm nodded and left. "'I'm sorry!' she shouted after him. "'Sorry for all those things I said!' He waved an acknowledgement but continued walking. She watched as he got into his car, parked some way down the road. Something had changed. The hub was safe, at least for the foreseeable future, but that wasn't it. A knot in her stomach had loosened, just enough to realise it was there. There were a handful of non-fiction titles amongst all the novels contained on the shelves. With one in particular she steadfastly refused to acknowledge. Alice hesitated and thought about the shameful abuse hurled at Malcolm, then pulled it out. Accepting the passing of a loved one read the title. She hugged it to her chest with eyes tight shut. The sorting of the returns could wait, as could all the other tasks she had been filling her time with. Alice tucked the book away safely under her arm, wiped both eyes with her sleeve and hurried along to read it as soon as she got home.